we welcome you to the first five tech chat on india's transition to green energy brought to you by avana climate corner i'm saksham mittal part of the investment team at avana capital today we have with us dr praveer sena and ms anjali bansal as panelists dr praveer sena is the ceo and managing director of the tata power company limited one of the india's oldest and largest integrated power utilities a seasoned power professional with a career spanning over almost four decades dr sena has led has held several leadership positions across the power sector value chain as a ceo and md of tata power delhi distribution limited he was instrumental in driving the turnaround of discom through technological and social interventions and setting a benchmark model for other discoms in developing countries to follow under his current leadership tata power is at the forefront of transforming itself from century old power utility company into a new age sustainable technology oriented and customer centric green energy solutions company dr sena has led multiple partnerships with national and international technology partners and institutional associations he has contributed significantly towards setting up the first international incubator in india for promoting innovations in the clean energy space he co-chairs the cii national committee on power and is also a member of other national committees working on indian power sector reforms dr sena is a qualified electrical engineer and has also done his masters in business law he received his phd from the indian institute of technology delhi and is a visiting research associate at massachusetts institute of technology boston anjali bansal is the founding partner of avana capital previously anjali has been the non executive chairperson of dena bank appointed by the government of india to steer the resolution of the stress bank eventually leading to a merger with bank of baroda prior to that she was the global partner and managing director with tpg growth private equity responsible for india southeast asia africa and the middle east she started a career as a strategy consultant with mckinsey and company in new york at avana she has led investments in category defining companies like farmart ikki foods turno and many more she has also invested and mentored various successful startups in the past including delivery and nike she also serves as an independent non executive board director on several leading boards including tata power nestle and piramal enterprises and chairs the climate council within the indian venture capital association over to you anjali to take ahead i have the singular pleasure today of driving this discussion with my very dear friend and colleague of many years on the board of tata power dr praveer sinha I think Saksham's given an introduction, so I will not go on. But I will say this: that it is such a amazing sort of experience to see the journey that Tata Power has been on under Praveer's leadership. Tata Power has always been a pioneer. We were one of the first integrated power companies in India 100 years ago, and now really leading the way towards a green future. What many people don't know is, in addition to all his executive responsibilities, Praveer is also a significant thought leader. He is closely associated with MIT. he started the first incubator in india for clean energy and does a lot in his personal time as well to support conservation the csr team at tata power does phenomenal work in our hydropower projects as well as promoting community and sustainable agricultural goals so many things but today we will talk about india's transition to green energy and clean energy so praveer let me start off first with just a little bit of a back story on your own journey you entered the power sector many years ago which was largely thermal and today we are looking at india having a 50% green energy target by 2030 you are at the forefront of it leading the way with tata power what has been your experience what are you seeing emerging in india as innovation what are some lessons we can learn from rest of the world to do and not to do both so over to you so first of all thank you anjali and thank you saksham for the warm introduction 
I must compliment Avana for taking the initiative for the thought leadership that you are bringing in clean energy space and the transition that is taking place in energy. And I think the way the world is moving, I'm sure that Avana will make a great contribution in terms of bringing this transformation, especially in our country. I think what we need to look at it is how globally things are changing. And for all of us in the country and in Tata Park, this is a great opportunity. And why do I say this? Because India, for a change, has the right things going, especially in the clean energy space. We have more than 300 days of sunshine, which not many have the benefit of. We also have large tracts of areas in the country where very good quality wind speeds are there and wind plants can come up. And then we have also great potential in hydro power plant. And I think the clean energy is rightly positioned for the driving the new age power that would be supplied in the country as also leadership in terms of how we can support our neighboring country as also many other places in the world which is still struggling with energy access. And I think this is the opportunity or this is the decade or few decades that India has to demonstrate leadership both in thought as well as in action. And I personally feel that we are blessed to be at this time globally where the transition is taking place, the decentralization is happening, the decarbonization is happening and the digital technology interventions are coming in, which will help us to really transition from where we were earlier, where we were only worried about capacity addition and not worried about the usage of energy, which we will be able to do both in terms of distributed generation as also in terms of the optimum utilization that can be done based on the profile of generation from renewable sources. I am quite excited about the opportunity. And I think this is the best phase that the global power sector is going as also the Indian power sector is going. Great. So probably following up on that, I mean, we all know that we are looking at a state of the world and not just state of the world markets, but also polity and society where everyone is talking about net zero. Energy plays a very critical role in solving for net zero. What do you see as emerging global trends? Particularly, how will the solutions required for developing countries differ from that of developed countries? And what we mean by that is developed countries have already gone through the economic growth path. They already have high per capita GDP, high levels of consumption, consequently actually a much higher carbon footprint. Whereas our market and society is still evolving in terms of economic progress and growth. So there may not be a reduction in energy consumption, but how do we think about solving for net zero with not just a mitigation and carbon lens, but also building adaptation, helping our industry and society transition and resilience building, which is supporting the more vulnerable segments of society. So what will it, what will need to be different for developing countries versus developed countries? the path they have gone, the path we need to be on? I think the, we are fortunate that the technology change has happened globally. We never had the opportunity to do such large scale of decarbonization at an affordable cost. And I think 
the last few decades wherein the technology interventions that have happened, especially in solar generation and in wind power generation, is giving us the opportunity to bring really low cost of clean energy solutions mm -hmm. to our part of the country, as also to many other countries, especially in Sub-Sahara Africa, who have challenge of no access or less access of energy and the energy poverty which continues to be prevalent over there. Mm -hmm. I think there are three things that I look at it from the perspective that what is the change or what is the transformation that is required if we have to go towards clean energy. The first is that we need to have reliable intermittent energy, which is a challenge with the renewable energy. And how do we make the solar plants and the, and the wind plants and the hydro plants work together to give a solution which will provide us 24-7 electricity? And I think that's an area that we need to work. We need to come up with much better solutions of giving hybrid power supply. Secondly, I think to make this reliable, we also need to look at the storage options. And the storage can be chemical storage, it can be electrochemical, it can be electrical storage, and it can be thermal storage or any other mechanical storage that can be there. Again, how do we make this storage sustainable, affordable, and scalable? And that's what is the challenge before us. And I think the type of research that needs to happen, whether it is in battery storage, in terms of what sort of chemistries that we will have, we should not get bogged down in just one type of chemistry, but look at various other chemistries, various other forms of batteries, whether it is the lithium ion or the sodium batteries, or it is the liquid batteries. So there are a whole lot of batteries that can come, flow batteries which are there. Secondly, we also need to look at it in terms of how these can have much longer life and the scalability part of it. So that's one area. We also will have to, I think at some stage, work more diligently towards finding a solution for hydrogen. Today, the hydrogen cost is prohibitive. And until unless we are able to bring down the hydrogen cost. And again, for producing hydrogen, 70% of your cost is the cost of power. And until and unless you come up with, again, good solutions on renewable power, the cost of hydrogen will not come down. So that's another area that is there. The second area is also that when we talk of reliable power, we also need to look at how do you bring resiliency in the power supply. You need to have a backup in power system. We always work on N-1, N-2, N-3 supply so that in case one system fails, what is the backup that we have? Backup to backup. And if we have renewable power, we are little vulnerable in case the sun god is not very happy with us or the wind god is not there, then what do we do? And I think for resilience, we need to look at alternate technologies. We unfortunately in our country don't have gas-based plants, but mm -hmm. that is one of the alternatives if we can get affordable cost of LNG, that can be one option. The other option is the nuclear power plant. We have seen that nuclear fission technology has been there. But there's a whole lot of work that is now happening in nuclear fusion space. And can we now work towards nuclear fusion, whereby we are able to produce clean energy 
and large quantity of it at a affordable cost and it is safe and secure for this people who operate and uh, are in that location the third aspect is the security one of the big things that we learned especially in last one and a half two years is how do you get the security of supply of setting up of these plants and for us it's very important that the security of lithium or security of supply of of any of the raw material even silicon is insured and we should not be just dependent and that again means that we need to look at some alternate technology whereby we can ensure that the security of supply for alternate materials is there and we are not dependent on single source or single country so i think when we look at the opportunities which is there for clean energy we need to consider these three aspects very closely fortunately the the clean energy solution provides us the opportunity to do decentralized generation and i think that's one of the technology solutions which is there and we need to leverage on that today not much of leveraging is taking place whether it is in urban areas or rural areas if we can leverage that then i think we will have more socialized and democratized use and generation of energy that can take place pravin you spoke about multiple things here one is the given the current state of geopolitics and the particular dependence on both important minerals as well as say semiconductors and so on how do you see in some ways de-risking national energy so creating supply chain security policy support for it pli schemes have been launched for solar for example solar modules how are you seeing opportunities develop there what are risks that we as a country and as an industry should focus on mitigating as well where are there investments required perhaps for deep technology and there will be long gestation r&d that companies like tata power might try so let me start with that then i will come to financing yeah absolutely right and i agree with you that there is a huge challenge because there are few countries who control virtually 80% or 84% of polysilicon or vapors or cells or modules or lithium or rare metals or vanadium you name the metal 80 to 90 or 95% of it is sourced from a single country and we are very vulnerable and globally is vulnerable as we are in india also and for us one option is that we go through the route of setting up these manufacturing facilities and compete with people who have been in this field for last 20 years and mind you they are already scaling up big time when they are already a few hundred gigawatt they will become a thousand gigawatt in next 3 to 5 years so by the time we become 100 or 200 they would be in 1000 and 1200 gigawatt and we would be very able in terms of being competitive to them and the the way that we have been starting down of imposing certain duties beyond a certain stage this does not work it, it is anti market and anti consumer so i think what it means also is that how do we come up with much smarter and much better solutions how do we come up with technology and i mentioned to you that i think we need to have a mindset change and we need to start from zero and say that i don't have a battery i don't have lithium ion can i have a sodium sulfate battery can i have a flow battery can i have a vanadium battery 
battery? Can I have a red oxide battery? Can I have a liquid battery? Can we look at some of the other metals? So the chemistry that what we have learned and the periodic table that we had learned, we need to reflect on it and say that why do we go for some of the metals which are rare metals and why not go for metals which are available in abundant and what will make that succeed? Similarly, now we have gone through the traditional polysilicon route for the making of the solar panel. There's a lot of work that is now going on, especially in terms of nanotechnology and using some of the organic liquids, which can be put on any sheet of paper, any substrate, and can be used for generating electricity. And the cost, they may be having lower efficiency, but the cost production will be one fourth of the normal polysilicon technology. So I need to look at many of these things in a very different light. It also brings us to this, to the stage where we should question ourselves and say that how we can come up with the disruptions in technology, not incremental improvement, but absolutely leaving that technology and starting something new, which no one has tried. And uh, that's a great opportunity. That's the place I think uh, when we are talking of clean energy solutions, we should be focusing. That's an area that we in Tata Power will be focusing. We will be with a lot of researchers globally to see that how we can expedite some of these technologies, how from lab to market we can bring these technologies and how we can scale it up very quickly so that alternate solutions are much better than what we have today. Great. And what are you seeing emerge in terms of regulation and policy support already to provide support for, say, the electrification of mobility? or more support for renewable energy, creating policy measures and pricing measures that are possible, hence to create more, say, microgrid and off-grid energy access. So what are you seeing in terms of regulation and policy that is working and what else needs to be done? So I, I think the, the government and the regulatory system in the country has been from time to time coming up with new policy initiatives and they have been supporting and encouraging to ensure that more and more penetration of renewable takes place, more and more usage takes place, and to facilitate in terms of the EV charging infrastructure, in terms of the ecosystem, whether it is in financing for electric vehicle or it is in terms of the PLI scheme or the incentive schemes that is being provided by the government. So, in terms of waiver of registration charges. So I think the government and the regulatory system have done a lot of things, but the speed at which we have to do many of these things can always improve. We can always not be following the requirement, but proactively do many of the things, which will, to a large extent, support and expedite the implementation of these programs. Similarly, in the renewable, there's a lot of programs which are going on in terms of encouraging rooftop solar or solar pumps and all that. The speed has to be three times more or five times more and not at the pace at which we are going. Because this is an opportunity for us and we should not uh, leave this opportunity and feel that uh, this is a case of a missed uh, buzz or a missed opportunity for us. So on that point, this is an upside opportunity, really. 
in some ways we have less legacy as a country we can really create the kind of leapfrogging we have already seen on the digitization side we have seen upi we have seen aadhar where do you think there can be some path breaking both product innovation so it could be battery technologies and battery chemistries as you mentioned but also business models that could really leapfrog india what has not been done elsewhere is it, not... is it creating the prosumer model what could it be you are absolutely right anjali the consumer model the democratization of energy today you go to villages the farmer gets electricity only certain hours of the day they do not get it there when they want they get it in midnight or early morning and that's not the time that they would like to run their pump sets for using water so i think what is required is to give the opportunity to the people that in rural areas how you can through solarization of pump sets how you can really bring the opportunity to the farmer and not only make him self dependent but also use that energy to generate income for them there have been instances where people have lot of villages that we have seen that people have used the solar pumps for not only irrigating their fields but also irrigating fields in 3 kilometers or 5 kilometer radius so for them supply of water has become a business and they are able to make a revenue out of it similarly you don't need every day to run the irrigation pump set so during periods that you are not using how can you supply to nearby shops or to provision stores who can use that energy for various other applications in their shops so i think there are very many business models which can happen and it can be transformative in terms of village economy which can change because this is empowering the local people in the village you they don't have to depend on getting power from long distances they don't have to depend on the discom employee to come and rectify or or support them in supply of electricity so this is real empowerment that is going into the hands of the people in the villages the second area is again whether it is the cni customer or it is the residential customer you can again whether it is rooftop or ground mounted renewable you can use that for meeting your energy requirement this is good mix also as well as this is good business model for them because the cost of renewable power will be much lower than the cost at which they get power from the utilities because they are most of the time cross subsidizing the baseline consumers so i think when you look at it from the perspective of the opportunity nominal opportunity and personally feel that for us it's not just only the technology but for a country like ours which has 600000 villages we have 300 lakh pump sets we can really be transformative and we can see in next 10 years a very different business model a very different consumption model that can happen in the country and we can be the first one in in mm-hmm. in countries or emerging market and if it succeeds over here you can take it to whole of africa and very many other places too and that's something we hear all the time from you that if you guys can solve it in india if or if this can be solved at india's scale and complexity and price points then these are solutions that are applicable across the world so definitely seeing and hearing that from a lot of folks one further question on this look at not just india but you look at innovation happening globally 
with your MIT hat on, and I know you do some work with the Columbia Climate School, et cetera, as well. What are you seeing in terms of some of the cutting edge technology or research that is going on outside India that you haven't seen much of yet here that we should be thinking as a country and particularly as a startup and innovation ecosystem of either collaborating, partnering, what is it that you are seeing the top three most exciting things that you've seen in the last six months? I see there's a whole lot of work that is happening on nanotechnology space, whereby they are developing very specific products, especially in the solar area. And I think they can be really game changers in terms of the usage of how solar energy can be fully utilized. Every glass panel you use in your house can generate electricity and meet your requirements. So that's a really game changer. If that thing happens, it can really transform the usage and the supply of energy. The second space that I see is a lot of work that is happening in plasma technology space. Both plasma technology for geothermal, whereby they will use plasma technology for going up to 10, 15 kilometers and using geothermal energy. And the second is that they can definitely also use that plasma technology for nuclear fusion. And again, there's a lot of work, cutting edge work that is going on. I do expect that in the next five to seven years, we'll see some very transformative things happening. There is a sense of urgency also. I see in many of these institutions and researchers globally. I also see that the type of money that is going in, especially the recent Inflation Reduction Act, which is there in US, will have some very good technology coming in, which can be used not only in US and the global market, but also in our country. We are working with some of these aid technology partners, and I feel quite excited about the opportunity that it can provide us if we can really make them successful quickly. No, that's great. I think this is, I can imagine a lot of founders and innovators are taking notes seriously over here. Before I move on to the next question, I also wanted to see how you are seeing, not just on the technology side, but business model innovation, different ways of, you know, I'm a very happy customer, for example, of the Tata Nexon EV, and I bought one after test driving yours, a phenomenal car. And of course, what made it very possible to use it was Tata Power coming and installing the charging point. What are business models that need to emerge to support all these technologies? So I think one of the big changes in the power sector that you would see is the disruption that will take place amongst the way the energy is supplied. The digital technology will support you in terms of optimizing your usage of energy for yourself. Remotely, you can control all your equipments. And these are simple equipments and not very complicated, not very expensive plug and play equipments. You would have also platforms which are plug and play. A simple app will control everything that you want to control in your house, in your solar panels. So it will tell you every data points and it will also give you the intelligence in terms of the usage pattern and how you can optimize it. So I think all in one single solution, which can not only be a controller of the energy, but also in terms of monitoring of the energy usage and supporting you in your decision making in what sort of energy you want to use and how 
you can reduce the consumption that you can do and reduce the cost that you pay. These will be very simple solutions which will be on your fingertips. Single app, you can do everything that you want. And at the end of the day, it will tell you exactly what all you have done, how your consumption pattern is there, how it was yesterday, how it was a month back, how people in your neighborhood are doing. So, so it will give you a whole lot of data points which will help you to become much more careful and more intelligent in terms of usage of energy. So I think that's the biggest disruption that will happen. The conventional utilities will be only for purpose of balancing. So gone are the days when you would be dependent on the utilities service provider and they will come and tell you when to supply, when not to supply. And monthly bills and things like that will be a thing of the past. You can control it on real-time basis. On daily basis, you can decide how much of green power you want to purchase, how much of non-green power you want to purchase. You want to buy from the exchange, you want to buy. So a whole lot of options will come to you. And you will, to that extent, be able to decide what the way you want to use power. So that's the big transformation that will happen. Good one. And then just taking a step back, saying this is India's year as G20 president and so on. What should we do to really leverage that platform in terms of green finance? And green finance, the large companies like Tata Power are able to access large global markets. But there is so much sustainable finance that is available. How do we make that, bring that into India, bring make that more available, particularly for MSMEs, for startups? So any thoughts on that? So I think you need to popularize, make it simple in terms of documentation that is required for especially SMEs. We work through SIGBI with a lot of SMEs in the country. How do we, again, go and popularize it? How do we go and disseminate the information to them? How do we make it a simple one-page application and not an application with many annexures? So how do we make it more user-friendly? How do we make it more consumer-friendly? That's what is required. Also, I think there has to be much more when just talk about the green financing, proof of the pudding is in eating. And I think it has to be demonstrated in terms of what is the low interest rates or better financing terms, long-term financing instruments. Those have to be given. And I think we need to really demonstrate it by offering it to the low-end consumers. And I'll tell you that the last two years, we have been running the rooftop program. And we do it for residential as well as the small and medium-scale industries. The delinquency level is very low. Mm-hmm. We put a corpus of certain amount. We've not even used 1% of that. So I think we need to really do mm-hmm. the hand and support people. And I think this can really scale up if we are able to tie up everything together. Because many a times what happens, everyone goes separately. The financing person goes separately. insurance person goes separately. The supplier goes separately. And then someone is doing the AMC and all that. So if we can offer a package solution, I think we'll be in a much better position to have more access. No, that's great. We are starting to see at least a couple of companies who are trying to bring it all together in a platform way with a technology first and a digital approach, as you have suggested. 
So it's encouraging to see that. I'm going to now open this up to questions from our participants. And I will actually start with one more question from the Avana team. What should clean energy startups do to collaborate and grow along with Tata Power? So, Praveer, I know it's a topic close to your heart. How are we currently collaborating with startups and what can startups do to collaborate more? Yeah, so if you have a good idea, come to us. But it should be a good idea. It should be a tested idea. Tested idea in terms of the viability of it and in terms of the potential cost. And we will support you in terms of providing you the infrastructure, providing you the handholding that is required, and also in terms of financing you with seed capital. Also, if whenever you are ready to take it to the market, we will do the trial runs. We will do the testing of the solution for you. So there's a whole lot of incubation work that we do, as well as accelerator work that we do with the startup. So anyone who has a good idea, please send us. In fact, we run a program also for our employees, which is known as the entrepreneurship in campus. So employees can also take a sabbatical for two years and come up with their ideas. Of course, you have to go through a challenge process and get selected. But if you have a good idea, we'll, we'll support you. We'll go allowed and see to it that it becomes successful. That's great. Dare I say very energizing as well. Going to the next question, we spoke about financing and interest rates. And given the rise in interest rates, making the cost of capital higher, and we are seeing volatility really around the world, are you seeing or expecting to see, and unfortunately, a slowdown in investments that might be put towards the net zero transition? I think more than the interest rate is the, is the counterparty guarantees, which is more important. So if it's a market and the counterparties are good, then you will be able to get funding, though it may be 50 or 100 basis points more than what it was, or maybe 200 points more. But there is definitely an appetite for the renewable projects. The challenge is the demand has to come and the demand has to come from people who are in a position to pay whatever service right. you are. We spoke about price volatility of critical minerals like nickel, cobalt, lithium, rare earth, etc which unlike coal and fossil fuel, and we've been in Tata Power in the coal and fossil fuel business for a long time, both of these come through long-term supply arrangements. So, you know, able to have some predictability in terms of costs. How does solar PV battery manufacturing address this kind of price volatility? How much do you do in forward? How much do you do in spot? And really, how do you secure this? Unfortunately, the, there is nothing forward in, in these type of commodities and products we have to go by the market forces and because it is a monopoly there are just few players globally and especially from one country most of the time they they have a single thing that you take it or leave it so there is no way that you can insulate yourself from long-term price increases or price rise there are no take or pay contract that you mm -hmm. have to an arrangement where it is linked to certain input material commodity prices. And I think once more players come in, there are more opportunities, more options, then possibly we'll be in a much better position to insulate ourselves from the, the type of price rises we have seen in last few years. Right. Right. 
Excellent. What are some large gaps in clean energy space where you think startups will actually play a bigger role versus large infrastructure companies? And I, the reason I say it's an excellent question is because clearly there are some areas that will require large amounts of capex, whether it is green hydrogen or it is large scale infrastructure built. So those will go with, say, large companies. So where are there opportune areas or gaps where you think startups can actually play a bigger role? I, I think startups can play a bigger role in everything. Uh, and I'll give you just two examples that we have been working. One is in the space of sensors, IOTs, which use the various machines, various equipments, various applications. And there have been startups who have come up with very low cost sensors. And these OTs can be used on any rotating equipment, stationary equipment. And on real-time basis, they monitor the condition of the equipment, the energy usage, and how the predictability can be done in terms of whether it requires upgrading, it requires repair, maintenance, whatever it is. So I think there is a lot of opportunities in these type of spaces. There's also a lot of opportunities in everything that we do in the past sector, starting from simple things like smart meters. Mm -hmm. You can make these smart meters more intelligent in terms of and how they can do two-way communication on usage of energy and also on giving the analytics of usage of energy. You can do very many other things in terms of every type of equipment that you use in clean energy, the solar panels into the analytics of it in terms of what are the hotspots, how the generation has been there. So you can do any type of, I would say, startup work, but it has to be unique. It has to be different. We have also supported one company which is working on bio-CNG. Now, bio-CNG, especially in village areas, is becoming very important as a part of providing mm -hmm. power supply using just waste material over there, certain classified waste material. You can produce bio-CNG, which can be used for generating electricity as also for providing as a cooking gas mm -hmm. to the villages. There's a startup which has worked with us for the last three years. We've now done pilot in few villages and we feel confident that the bio-CNG solution can be a game changer, especially when we are doing microgrids in villages. So earlier we had the solar panel, the battery, and then a backup of a DG set. Now we are removing the DG set and it's the bio-CNG that we will be using. And that gives us 24-7 access as also provides us the opportunity to provide clean fuel to the people in the village. So I think there are a whole lot of ideas that are there. We can share some of the ideas that we have, but we would definitely like to hear from many of our youngsters as to what is it that they feel can really be transformative, can be disruptive in the way the energy can be supplied, not only clean energy, but also at an affordable cost. Right. Just curious about your perspective on how to best quantify the commercial benefits of large Indian companies or even MSMEs of setting and meeting net zero goals. Is there your thought, school of thought or a thought process on the social cost of carbon that you would subscribe to both individually in a startup power and would recommend as best practice for an enterprise cost benefit point of view? 
Yeah, so for us, it is very important to first of all measure and then only you can monitor and then you can quantify it. Uh, the challenge in uh, our context is that the measurement part of it has been very weak and the science-based uh, indicators that we are now looking at and Tatapar is working in uh, developing solutions for that. That will be very helpful to actually quantify that what sort of social impact it has, what is the benefit. And if you don't do, what is the impact of it? What is the negative of it? So I think it's very important for us to start doing this in a more scientific basis rather than on some of the metrics which are right now available, but they are very qualitative and not quantitative that we should be looking at. So I know that Tata Power has also been, like many other areas, pioneering in being one of the first companies really to embrace the BRSR full sustainability reporting, even when it was not mandatory, and using SBTI as a tool. So what are some of the learnings along the way that we've had so far, Praveer, and particularly as people start thinking about where to build businesses and where they can play in that value chain? So now for us, it has still been a learning phase and we are still trying to figure out what is the best way especially globally, who are the companies. I think there is a challenge globally also, and as a part of the larger team, which is working on SPTI, we are trying to configure the various parameters and the metrics on which each of these have to be measured. And, and I think it's very important for us to really get into the net zero in terms of not only usage, but also the others who are involved with us. Scope 1, Scope 2, Scope 3, we need to get into more detailing of it. These are, I would say, little early days, but what is good is that people are sensitized about it. Mm-hmm. And they have started discussing and talking about it earlier. All these issues were put under the carpet and everyone used to forget about it. And some generic numbers were floated around which did not really do justice to what are the challenges before us. But now that uh, there is more awareness that has taken place, I'm sure we'll come up with some good ideas, good suggestions, and we'll implement some of them and we'll share the learnings that we have got. No, for sure. This takes us to what do you think is more important and more value-adding to society and humanity? Is it carbon capture or just saving carbon, not emitting it in the first place? I think both are important and we should not forget that we need to transition. So for us, it is not that we have a eureka moment that we can say that we can move away from the hard to abate industries and carbon intensive industries and move to a absolutely clean energy solution. So for us, carbon capture is as important as to going for solutions which are going to be net carbon. Zero. I think we should be very clear that uh, there has to be a transition path. It has to be a fast transition path, not 50 years and 70 years hence. We need to do it much faster. We may not have a planet with us if we keep on delaying. And and, uh, there is an opportunity for us to learn and do things much faster. So what we have been doing many things in last 100 years or last 200 years, we it in next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So the chemistry of periodic cycle, which is more than 250 years Cavendish found, uh, has to be compressed in 25 years. 
the uh, power industry, which uh, uh, Thomas Alva Edison found out more mm -hmm. than back, we need to do it in 10, 15 years. We don't have the luxury of time, which right. many of these earlier inventions had. So I think we need to work very hard and very fast. And sometimes crisis also leads to opportunity. Yes. And as we think about where we sit, India, and we imagine India at 125 years later, and you said 25 years, so that's what popped into my head, is we really do have the unique opportunity. We are a fast-growing economy, young country, soon to be the largest country, most populous country in the world. 20% uh, you know, roughly about the world's population lives here or thereabouts in our neighborhood. And consequently, it is not, it is absolutely imperative that we continuing continue our economic progress and growth which means we will consume more steel, more cement, more power. Hard to abate industries are a fact of life. They are not going away. We are not going to have solutions overnight. So transitioning is super important, but it also creates an opportunity. As I mentioned earlier, as we have leapfrogged in other areas, I think just relying on the amazing energy, entrepreneurial energy, innovation ideas, technology base that we have in India to create solutions where our growth path need not be the growth path post-industrialization globally, which led to significant deterioration in our environment, whether it is war, water, air, and our soil, and certainly other countries in the East that have grown fast, but have done so at the cost of the environment. So maybe we do in India actually have a unique opportunity to do it differently and do it well. So when we are looking at India at 100, it's a cleaner, greener, very prosperous, and very sustainable growth model that India has followed. So thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. Privil, I'll turn to you for a couple of final remarks. And then one last question. What is your advice to startup founders? And whether they're founders or innovators or people who are thinking about the next big problem to solve, what is the advice you would give them? You are doing a great job and you should do it much faster as if there is no tomorrow. And I think there are a whole lot of ideas that we need to contest and we should not get complacent that uh, this is what has been done over there and that's the be all and end all. I think uh, we are fortunate to be positioned in such a stage where all of us in India have the opportunity to really become big in terms of our actions. And, uh, and this is the time for us to deliver and really make it happen in the next one decade. I think we are very fortunate to be part of this transformation which is going on in this country and we should make the best of it there would be challenges but i'm sure we'll be able to overcome many of them if we put our mind together and i think the name of the game is collaboration most of the time we don't do that sort of collaboration we should not hesitate to collaborate in, within the country and also outside the country because that's where we'll have the melting pot and the best of the minds and best of the solutions so be fearless, be fierce, be quick, don't wait, be in a hurry, and absolutely collaborate. I think those are the big takeaways. Praveen, thank you so much for a terrific conversation, energizing discussion, and we'll hope to see you again at the Avana Climate Corner. Thank you. Thank you, and all the best to Avana Climate Corner, and to you for your leadership, for taking this discussion and this thought leadership forward. Thank you.